0: Spirit of God, would you grant us understanding so that our hearts may be enlightened to see the glorious riches that you have for us in Christ Jesus as your word is taught this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, First Baptist. If you have your Bibles, let's begin with the reading of Scripture for today's sermon, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, while you are flipping there, there is a handout I have given to the ushers. If you do not have a handout and would like one, just get their attention. Parts of today's text are on the handout as well as it will help you just kind of follow along. Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And then specifically the three verses we will focus on today. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. First Baptist is an honor to open God's Word with you. Uh, My name is Jonathan Nason. I serve as the pastor of New Hope Church in Jamaica, Queens. My my wife and my three children, we moved to New York in 2018, and for us, that was a season of transition. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee originally, and we moved to New York, and as I said, in 2018, and about that time, I was uh, introduced to this congregation this body of Christ and, and a season of transition for us this church body uh, welcomed us loved on us showed us hospitality and so to be back opening God's word with you this morning brings great joy to my heart just a pleasure to see new faces and old faces alike and I'm just grateful to open God's word with you As we come to our text, we will, I will eventually get to this text, but I do want to lay a little bit of a theological foundation that I think is important for us to understand the point that I believe this text is pointing to. And so let me start by just a way of introduction as we think about the idea this morning. As I was driving here this morning, it is a beautiful Sunday morning, I'm grateful uh, to just be able to drive through the city with not as much traffic on Sunday morning and just see people going to and fro. And I'm reflecting on that and I'm reflecting on our lives as New Yorkers and the busyness of our lives for a number of reasons. Maybe we're busy just because we're trying to make ends meet. Maybe we're busy simply because it takes us longer than it should to get from point A to point B. I think about the ambition of this city. I think about how people come to this city for a lot of different reasons, maybe because they are wanting to forward their career, or maybe it's a place of power, or maybe it's a place of financial gain, maybe it's a place of notoriety, maybe it's just cool, so let me move to the city. Maybe it's a place of education. There's a lot of reasons that people move to the city, live in the city, and go about their lives in this city. But I believe, as I have not only interacted with New Yorkers, but as well as just interacted with people, understanding the heart of people, I think people are trying to answer this question a lot in this city. If I had blank, then I would finally or ultimately be satisfied. I remember even as a Christian who understands the truth of today's text, but still, because of my heart at times is not in pursuit of the Lord, I have answered this question in a way that had an earthly somewhat answer. I remember even my wife and I, we moved and we moved into an apartment when we got here and we had our children and there are many moments where I said, ooh, if I just had a parking space at this apartment, life would be just grand in New York City. Like it would just be perfect. Or, or if even at times if our car was parked on the opposite side and the, when the snow plow came it didn't close our car in, if that wouldn't have happened and I'd figured that out earlier, then maybe today life would simply be better. I remember when my family had the privilege and opportunity to move into a location that did have parking and had a little more space for us and I was grateful for God's blessing And then there's still other ways that if I'm not careful, I begin to fill in this answer. If only I had this, then I would be good. And what I want us to see today as we come to this text is ultimately that apart from Christ, our hearts will never be satisfied. No matter what we pursue, no matter what we go about in this city, Christ and Christ alone can satisfy our hearts. Why? Because he has created us for him. And as theologians over time have said in various ways, but Augustine said, Until my heart finds its rest in you, my heart shall be restless. Ultimately understanding that it is in Christ, in Christ alone, that our hearts find their rest. And so what I want us to look at is, we will come to Psalm 16, but I want us to flip first to Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want to answer two questions, if you will, or two uh, uh, equations And before we do the second one, which brings us to Psalm 16, I want us to understand why Psalm 16 and why the truth of the text is possible. And we must look clearly at the truth of the gospel. Truth number one, if you have a fill in the blank of your writing notes, is simply this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I I say that in response specifically to how we are made right with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1-10. I will speak of it and talk and exo- expound on it as I read through it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Pausing there, there are two things that I want us to meditate on as we continue through this text. First, I want us to meditate on the reality of the situation that one is in outside of Christ. It says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. When we begin to think about what Christ has done for us, which we'll get to in just a moment in verse 4 and following, but before that, Paul is setting us up to say, hey, here's who we are outside of Christ. And when we think about what Christ has done for us, the text does not say, you were sick or you are struggling or you needed some help the text is clear that in our in of our sin and because of our trespasses we are dead what can we do physically speaking to bring someone to life it's completely out of our control it's completely a state that speaks to the opposite of what we have in breath as physical human living beings and in the same way, Paul is equating our reality of Christ, that not only spiritually now, but eternally speaking, we are dead. We are dead because our trespasses and sins. We are dead in the ways of this world. We are following the ways of this world. And as, just quickly looking at Psalm 16, it's simply, the writer says, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. This is Paul saying the same thing, that we are seeking the creation over the creator, and that our, we're worshipping ourselves, we're worshipping these ideas, and because of that, we are dead. This is a tragedy. This is something that is beyond our own helpful state of being able to help ourselves. Second thing I want you to notice though that Paul is writing to the church and he is speaking of this state in a past tense. This is not what you are anymore. This is what you were. And for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ because of God's grace, we can read this text and go, yes, this is what we were. I am no longer dead that I have been made alive with Christ because of His grace. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. Not because of your good deeds, your admiral attendance at church, your scripture reading, your scripture memorization. Not because of anything in and of yourself, but because rooted in his love, this great love for which he loved us, and his rich mercy, that even while you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, unworthy of a relationship with him, he did what? Three things. He made us alive together with Christ. Paul is so excited about this truth that he quickly just inserts this parenthetical statement, by grace you have been saved. But he's continuing in his train of thought and he says, He has made us alive together with Christ. He has raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We got to understand as we were singing about the reality of Christ's life and resurrection, and then we too will be resurrected to life. It is made clear in this text. I want you to look at the language. They made us alive together with Christ, He raised us with Christ, and He seated us with Christ. In the original language, this is simply one word for each of those with the emphasis on the reality of the prefix to say that we are with Christ. Meaning, you and I have been made alive, resurrected, and seated in the heavenlies because we are in Christ, and Christ has been made alive, raised alive, and seated in the heavenlies. That is because of our status in Christ. It is because of Christ and Christ alone that you and I can cry out that we once were dead, but because of God's grace, He and His love and His mercy, He is what? He has made us alive. He has raised us up and He has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. For what purpose? So that in the coming ages He might show. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That God loves you so much that he gave you life. He saved you from damnation. He saved you from yourselves. He saved you from what we deserve. And he didn't just save us from those things. But because we've been made right with him, he now seeks and desires and has a purpose to do what? In the coming ages, for now to eternity, he might show you this love, this grace, and this mercy through immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. So not only when you and I could not earn it, did not deserve it, did he, because of his love, save us, but he saved us not just from something, but to something. He saved us to himself and he saved us to his immeasurable riches for all eternity. That's why Ephesians 1.3 would say that we have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. All that we have because of God's grace is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's important for us to understand that Jesus plus nothing is everything. We gather on Sunday mornings. We gather at other times throughout the week. We gather in our own personal study to worship God, recognizing that it is by His grace and His grace alone that we have the ability to stand before Him and worship Him. This truth, Jesus plus nothing, equals everything as it relates to salvation, as it relates to God's grace, safeguards us from a couple of things. One, it safeguards us from the belief of the religious idolatry that we have to do something to earn God's good pleasure. If I'm being honest, as someone who has grown up in church, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for my family who trained me and taught me God's Word and pointed me to Jesus my entire life. But if, because of that uh, environment, at times, if I'm not careful, I could wrongly believe That God's pleasure and God's love and God's grace is dependent upon my attendance. It's dependent upon my ability to to get certain or to do certain things. It's, It's dependent upon my ability to be nice to my brothers or my sisters growing up. My ability to study scripture or memorize scripture. And I remember even carrying this in as an adult and as a Christian, even as a pastor. I remember vividly a few years ago. I have a discipline of reading through the one-year Bible every year. It's just a way for me to make sure I'm in all of God's Word, and it's a plan for me. So I get to sit down, and it just tells me what to read, and I don't have to think about it. But I remember I was in a season where I was reading God's Word, and I was like, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, because it's what I'm supposed to do. But I was I was lacking the joy. I was lacking just really spending time with Him, and I was doing it out of duty. I was doing it out of somewhat legalism. And I just remember spending time with the Lord, and And in that moment, the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, Jonathan, don't you understand that because of my grace, that even if you do not read your Bible today, because of Jesus, I still love you. There's this moment in my heart that was restored by the gospel and grace of Jesus that even if I don't read God's Word today, his love is still upon me. That's not to say we aren't to read God's Word. And that leads me to the other thing it protects us from. Which is, if, if God has saved me and there's nothing I can do to lose that salvation, then great, I can go and fulfill the sinful desires of my heart. And I can do whatever I want. If, if I'm not reading God's Word because I have to and I don't want to and I don't want to obey God's Word, then I can go live however I want. But if we truly understand God's grace, it will protect us from us trying to save ourselves. And it will also protect us from us not cherishing the salvation that we have in Christ. And so I want us to see that Jesus plus nothing equals everything should renew the beauty of what God has done for us. So now, I read God's word not because I have to. I read God's word because I desire to because I want to honor him and please him. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, maybe for those who are married or dating someone, you might understand this illustration uh, in a very tangible way. My wife and I fight the most about what we're going to eat when we go out to eat. That's what we do. And, and you, you got th- and I want to be clear, we don't fight out of selfishness. It's not, this is what I want to eat and she goes, no, this is what I want to eat and we fight about what we want to eat. It's actually the opposite. It's because I love my wife and I know that she cares and enjoys eating out, that I want her to have what she wants when we go out to eat and she does the same for me. And so it's like, hey babe, let's go out for a date. Let's go out for dinner. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? I, well, I'm, what I'm thinking is, I don't want to tell you what I want to eat, because what if that's not what you want to eat? And you'll say yes to it, and then you'll eat something you don't want to eat, and that would make me sad. So I go, babe, I don't care. What do you want to eat? No, you pick, you pick. I don't, and then I get, then I really get frustrated, because I'm just like, just tell me what you want to eat. Well, why do we do that? It's because I love my wife so very much that I want to please her. I want to honor her. Therefore, I want her to tell me what she wants that would please her and honor her. And if she would just tell me, I would gladly do it. This is what it means to be faithful and obedient to Christ when we understand his grace. God, I love you. You have been so good to me. You have given me grace that that I could never deserve. And I want to honor you in response. What do you want from me? And he says, I've told you what I want from you. Therefore, I study God's word to meet with him and to hear him tell me what he wants to eat, so to speak. Obviously, that's an illustration, but you get my point that he tells me what he wants and therefore I'm obedient not to earn his grace, not to earn his love, but because I've already received it and out of gratitude and love unto him, I say, God, what do you want from me? And then my response to him is out of worship. I want to be clear and I want to start here by saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything because I want us to see this is the foundation for what truth number two is, which is this. Jesus plus nothing equals enough. Jesus plus nothing equals enough. Turn with me back to Psalm 16. I want to read it in its entirety again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I'd imagine as the psalmist would be very similar to myself here. There's a lot of good things in this world that God has given us. There's a lot of common grace. There are a lot of blessings in this creation. My wife and my kids are one of those. But comparatively speaking, I desire from my heart to cry out the same as the psalmist. Compared to you, O oh God, there is nothing good. Comparatively speaking, you are everything. Verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delights. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Notice the contrast. Which God and which thing will you pursue? Because what we pursue above all is what we worship above all. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Meaning I will not participate in the worship of other gods. Why? Because the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore what? My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Notice even the foundation of the psalmist here. Not, this is before Christ, and we understanding in all of God's redemptive history... But even the psalmist is speaking to God's salvation and his goodness as the grounds for which he finds joy in his heart being satisfied in this world. It's important for us to say Jesus plus nothing equals everything first. Because at the end of the day, I do not worship Christ out of selfish motives. Well, if I worship you, then I will receive. See, if I Worship and serve Christ ultimately for simply what I get out of it, that is equal to the selfish sin that put us in the need for a Savior. But it's important for us when we think about our Christian life and me believing that in Christ there is an abundance of joy for all eternity, that that is a reward for my salvation, but that is not necessarily the motive of my salvation or even the means of my salvation. Christ and His grace and His mercy on me. But, because of God's salvation, because of being with Christ, because of being, what, made alive with Him, raised with Him, seated with Him, I am with Him. That my union with Christ in eternity makes my heart glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shield to death or let your Holy One see corruption. What? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the idea, one of the ideas that I want to encourage us with. Is that I worship Christ because I recognize his grace for me. In the same way that I want to please my wife for what she wants to eat because I love her, I want to please Christ with my life because of what he has done for me. But I also recognize that ultimately in salvation, the reward of that salvation for me is not just the forgiveness of my sins, not at all minimizing that, It's not just that he has saved me from something. He has saved me from damnation. He has saved me from my guilt. But he at the same time as doing that, he has saved me to himself. That I am in Christ, with Christ for all eternity. And because I'm in Christ and with Christ, my heart rejoices. My whole Body worships him. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore. He is enough for me. He is everything I need for salvation. He is everything I need, but he is also everything I want. And in this Christian life, I want to encourage us to cry out in gratitude for God's grace and worship Him and recognize rightfully so He is everything I need. But the question is, is He everything your heart really wants? It's one thing to recognize it's what your heart needs. But is it also what your heart wants? And what I want to challenge you with, not only from my personal experience, but better from God's Word That it's in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Completion of joy in our lives. Fully satisfied. As if to say I love my wife and my kids. And my kids have been in Tennessee for the last month. Summer vacation, seeing family. A number of other reasons. We had to change flights and they end up staying longer than expected. And I haven't seen my children in a month. But on Wednesday I will see my children for the first time in 31 days. And guess what? I'm going to have joy in my heart. I'm going to be glad to see them. I'm going to be excited to see them. I'm going to be so uh, looking forward to being able just to hang out with them and play video games with my son again and go outside and play soccer. I'm going to have joy. But even as a loving father, my children at the end of the day do not complete my joy. Yes, the absence makes the heart grow fonder and there will be joy in that moment, but it's in Christ and Christ alone where my heart is fully satisfied. It is not in a career. It is not in the blessings of creation. All those, those things can be good and are good, and I'm grateful that God has given those to us in His grace. However, I want to be one who recognizes that Jesus is is enough. Not only is he everything for me in salvation, but he is enough for me. Meaning that if God doesn't give me this thing that I filled in the blank at the beginning, then it's still enough. If God gives me nothing else in this world that benefits me earthly, he is still enough. I need no other reason to worship him. I need no other reason to find joy in this world other than being found in Christ. He is is enough it's sometimes easy to say that when we're in an easy season of life but all of us know what it's like to be in difficult seasons maybe some more than others but even in those difficult seasons I want my heart to cry out in your presence there is fullness of joy At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you find joy in Christ? Do you find joy when you open God's word? Do you find joy when you worship him? Do you find joy in the simple things of God's creation? Do you find joy in Christ? And maybe your answer is no. Here's what I want to encourage you with is that the joy in Christ comes from Christ. And so let your heart posture be, God, Jesus, Spirit of God, I want to be filled with the fullness of your joy. I want my heart to cry out that you are all I need, you are all I want. And prostrate yourself before the Lord. And say, Spirit of God, might you, one, maybe for someone here, might you save me, might you awaken my heart unto you and then might you allow my heart to find its rest in you. Might you allow my heart to find its joy in you. Might you slow down to spend time with him. Not out of duty, but out of delight. Might you open God's word tomorrow, not because you're supposed to, but you recognize that that's an opportunity to meet With the Lord who loves you so much that he has saved you to pour out his immeasurable richness and riches in kindness towards you. Might you see that until your heart finds its rest in Jesus, it will not be satisfied. If you're in this room today and you would not profess faith in Christ, I hope that these two simple truths would penetrate into your heart. That although this, in my opinion, is the greatest city in the world for a lot of reasons. That there is a lot of heartache, but also a lot of joy that can come from this city. A lot of pleasures that can come from this city. A lot of opportunities that can come from this city. But nothing outside of Christ will satisfy your life. And I pray that the Spirit of God would open your heart to that truth and it would recognize that that satisfaction comes in Christ and we are made in Christ because of His grace and salvation towards us. Might you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Might you see that it's in Christ and Christ alone that you have everything for salvation and that it is what your heart wants and will satisfy your heart for eternity. It is everything. Why? Because God has created you for himself to glorify him and worship him and for you to find your life in him. So Christian and non-Christian alike today, might you see and might you worship Christ because he is everything, but he's also enough. He's all we need and he's all we want. And might our hearts cry out to him and might our hearts find their joy in him and might we live a christian life that worships him because of his grace and worship him because our hearts are filled with joy i end and i close with just a passage i wasn't it wasn't in my sermon notes but one that i was just thinking of while we were singing through worship a minute ago but it's zephaniah 3:17 The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing. The Lord your God is in our midst. And because of Jesus, and because we are in Jesus, we have a Father who sings goodness over us. We sing praises unto him and he pours out his riches on us in kindness because of Christ Jesus. Riches of salvation and riches that satisfy our hearts, not with earthly, but with Christ and Christ alone because Christ is our salvation and Christ is our reward. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. That in you, Jesus plus nothing else in this world can save us. Jesus, you and you alone, you and you alone, you and you alone made a way for our salvation. You and you alone redeem us, forgive us, we are so grateful. We cannot earn it, we don't deserve it but you and you alone give it. And not only have you taken us from death to life and given us salvation, what a great reward that is, but you have brought us to yourself that we were made alive with you. We were raised with you. We were seated with you. And it's with you that our hearts find their eternal satisfaction. So I pray that we would be Christians that recognizing one day for all eternity we will be satisfied with you. But I seek to be filled with your joy today, Jesus. I seek and desire to be filled with your gladness. Let me not believe the lie when my heart sometimes says if I had this thing in creation I would be satisfied. But let my heart always be reminded in Christ I i am satisfied. He is enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. And I'm so grateful for the salvation and the joy that is found in you and you alone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church family.